सहनावतो सहनो भुनक्त सह वीरवाह तेजस्वीतमस्तुमा विद्विषा ओ शांति Let us read the first verse here. Arjuna uvacha, Arjuna uvacha, Sanyasasya mahabaho, Sanyasasya mahabaho, Tattvamichami veditam, Tattvamichami veditam, Tyagasya charushi kesha, Tyagasya charushi kesha, Thus, the 18th chapter opens with this question, or rather, this request on the part of Arjuna, who says, O Lord, Sanyasasya Tattvam Vedam Ichami, I wish to know the truth of what is meant by Sanyasa. Tyagasthya tattvam vedanam ichami And O Lord, I also want to know what is the meaning of Tyaga. So Arjuna uses two words, Sanyasa and Tyaga. Because these two words have been used in number of places in Bhagavad Gita in the past by Lord Krishna. And thus in fact Lord Krishna has explained these concepts in the past. But Arjuna wants to understand them concisely so that he can get clarity of what is meant by sannyasa and tyaga. Because Arjuna could see that this sannyasa or tyaga really represents the whole, I mean, theme of the entire teaching of Lord. And therefore, he wants to get a clarity, a concise understanding of what is sannyasa and tyaga. <coughs> Before we proceed with the reply of Lord Krishna, let us understand here, what is it that Lord Krishna has said about sannyasa? As I said, sannyasa is the real theme of the main topic of the Bhagavad Gita. And that's the reason why this last chapter, the 18th chapter is called Moksha Sannyasa Yoga. So Moksha is the goal, the end, and sannyasa is the means, this is what Lord Krishna teaches. You might say, no Swamiji, Lord Krishna is teaching Karma Yoga, and Lord Krishna is teaching Jnana Yoga. Lord Krishna is teaching many things. But we will see that through all of them, what Lord Krishna is teaching is sannyasa. What it is that makes karma a yoga when there is sannyasa in that? What it is that makes jnana a yoga when there is sannyasa in that? So let us just review what Lord Krishna has said so far about sannyasa. Let me just show it to you on the, on the board. <coughs> So Lord Krishna in Bhagavad Gita has spoken of three levels of sannyasa, three levels of renunciation. Sannyasa means renunciation. And basically Lord Krishna teaches renunciation as the means of spiritual growth. If you understand the inner growth or spiritual growth is what it is that we will accomplish because that growth ultimately results into total freedom and thus discovering freedom. So discovering freedom is, is the process that Lord Krishna teaches and sannyasa or renunciation is the means of discovering that freedom. Because as I said this morning that moksha freedom or unqualified freedom is really what every human being is seeking. Knowingly or unknowingly, this is what every human being is seeking, freedom. And not just freedom, but unqualified freedom or unconditional freedom. That I want freedom with no strings attached at all. This is what I am seeking. I do not want that something outside of me should control my freedom. I do not even want that something within me should control my freedom. And thus, I want to be free from any compulsions placed upon me by external people or situations. And I also want to be free from any compulsions placed upon me by my own inner impulses. 
And thus, I am seeking total or unqualified or unconditional freedom. And this is called moksha. However, now second thing is, this is, so number one to understand is that what human being is seeking is moksha. Second thing to understand is, where is this moksha or where is this unconditional freedom? The answer is, it is my own self. This is very important. This Vedanta tells us, Tattvamasi, that thou art, that unconditional or unqualified freedom which are seeking is your own self. Meaning, the seeker and sought are not different from each other. The seeker is a sought. Like the tenth man story, the one who is searching for is the tenth man, and one who is searched also is tenth man, and so the, ser- the seeker and the sought are one. This is the truth, this is the truth that is revealed by Vedanta. If this is so, if seeker and sought are one, if the tenth man is the one who is searching for the tenth man, then what is the way of finding the tenth man? What is that separates the tenth man from the tenth man? Here we find a very peculiar situation that the tenth man is searching for the tenth man. Well, we know of course, we are wise people, so we know how come he is searching? Because he is counting and he counts nine and does not include himself. But for whatever reason, he did not include himself. The conclusion was that the tenth man is lost. And once tenth man is lost, they cannot accept that loss and therefore they have to find him. Not knowing that the one who is searching for alone is the one that is being searched for. If this is so, then what it is that in fact can produce the tenth man for this person? What is that separates now the seeker from the sought? When seeker and sought are one, and still we see a duality there. In fact, tenth man is one, but see we see a duality here. The tenth man is split into two. You know what two? The seeker and the sought. The tenth man is simultaneously the seeker and the sought. <coughs> it is this duality that concerns us really. What concerns me is not that anything else is different from me. What concerns me primarily is that what I want in my life is different from me. It is that duality or separation between the seeker and the sought, that is what actually, that is what pains me. And thus I want to erase that separation. And so the tenth man is, wants to erase the separation between himself and tenth man. But as long as this conclusion remains that I am not the tenth man, the tenth man is lost. So long there is no way that the tenth man can be found because what he is searching for is his own self. And therefore, here is something to be given up. What is to be given up? This notion is to be given up. That I am not the tenth man, that notion is there somehow created in him, it is that which is to be given up. So this is the renunciation we are talking about. Primarily renunciation or we are talking about is just giving up, dropping. In fact that is what the Upanishad teaches. Nete nete, not this, not this. And what is meant by not this? Not this means you are not what you take yourself to be. And therefore drop these conclusions about yourself. You entertain many conclusions about yourself, many judgments about yourself you have for no valid reason. You take yourself to be a limited person, a bound person and for which there is no valid reason and therefore drop that. So what is meant by sannyasa renunciation is dropping things. Dropping what? Dropping that which is which comes in my way. Dropping that which is of the nature of burden to me. Or dropping that which deprives me of what I want. Nobody in the world asks us to give up something that is useful to us. Scriptures would never ask us to give up something that is useful to us. But it is possible that I may consider something to be useful which may not be useful in reality. It is possible that that which is a burden to me, I may look upon that as something useful to me, then I may ask to drop it. And this is the kind of sannyasa or renunciation that is being taught because we feel that we are asked to renounce, we are asked to give up things, we are asked to give up nothing. We are only asked to give up that which deprives us of what we are seeking or what we want to be. So this is the primary sannyasa, sannyasa or renunciation of this notion on my part that I am a seeker, I am a limited being, which notion is created out of ignorance and therefore that notion can be given up when the ignorance is dispelled. And therefore knowledge then becomes a means because here the situation is the accomplishment of what is already accomplished, the praptasya praptahi, achievement of what is already achieved or 
owning up what is already there and not that something is to be created. And that's the reason why Jnanam or knowledge becomes the primary means for the moksha that we are talking about. If moksha is talked about in other terms, then knowledge will not be the means. So, there are many traditions that talk about moksha as reaching a certain place. Whether it is Brahma Loka, or it is Vaikuntha, or Kailasa, or Goloka, or heaven, so whatever it is. So there is a concept of moksha or, or salvation or liberation or freedom where it's thought that if you place yourself in a given ideal condition then you are liberated or you have all that you want. So it is felt that moksha or liberation or the human goal is something that is unattained and has to be attained then knowledge cannot become the means then karma becomes the means. Action becomes the means. So action is primarily a means to achieve what is not achieved and knowledge means for achievement of what is already achieved. So this is the, if this, that is what Vedanta teaches. So Vedanta begins with this premise that you are what you are seeking to be and therefore you just have to know what you are. What you think you are is not what you are. You are entertaining many notions and complexes about yourself which are born of ignorance about yourself. Therefore knowledge becomes a primary means. And therefore then what is that knowledge? Knowledge is dispelling ignorance. And what does dispelling ignorance does? Or how does ignorance manifest itself? In the form of variety of notions and complexes about myself, that I am so and so. This is what we call ego or sense of individuality, which is born of ignorance. And therefore, that is to be dropped. That's a, that's a real sannyasa. And therefore, the primary sannyasa is renunciation of ignorance. Or what we call the superimpositions or complexes or notions born of ignorance. As I say, this is a peculiar kind of ignorance. Usually by ignorance we understand absence of knowledge. But this ignorance is a peculiar kind of ignorance. Therefore the word Agnanam in Vedanta becomes a technical word. It is a kind of ignorance which not only deprives me of knowledge of what there is, but it creates in its way what we call the misapprehension or creates all kinds of misconcepts. That means in the standard rope snake example that I do not know the object as rope. Not only that, but I know that as a snake. So not knowing and knowing wrongly. Sometimes this is called the projection. <coughs> so avaranam and vikshepa, veiling and projection. These are the two aspects of this ignorance. So we should understand ignorance is not merely not knowing the self. If I did not know the self altogether, perhaps I would have been in bliss. Ignorance is bliss. As it is in the state of deep sleep, when I just do not know myself at all. At that time, in fact, I experience freedom. I do not know the freedom to my nature, but in the state of deep sleep, when there is a total lack of self-consciousness. I am not conscious of myself, nor am I conscious of anything other than myself, thus, when I am not self-conscious, I am free. See, when, when do I feel a sense of bondage or limitation? When do I become self-conscious? When I am not self-conscious, it can be due to something that I have taken. It can be due to some kind of an experience where momently I forget myself. That ha also happens. Sometimes I become so happy, so overjoyed, that I just forget. And the way that I behave may not be quite, you know, you may be surprised, Swamiji, you, you say that, you did this? Because I am not self-conscious. When I am self-conscious, then I am a different person. Then, you know, you will find me to be how a Swami is supposed to be. Or whatever my concept of Swami is, that is what you will find me to be. 
But when I'm not self-conscious, that time I may be whatever. But in the deep sleep state, I'm not self-conscious and therefore I'm not conscious of any of my notions or complexes and therefore I experience freedom. But this ignorance is not merely not knowing myself, but knowing myself wrongly. Not knowing the rope, but knowing the rope as a snake. And thus not knowing that I am the free or complete being that I am, but falsely taking myself to be bound or limited. So that's the problem. And that is what is to go. And that is why we say knowledge is the first. And the means of that renunciation is knowledge. So what is renunciation of ignorance is by what? By knowledge. Knowledge of the self. And therefore, a sannyasi. Who is a sannyasi? Sannyasa means renunciation. Sannyasi means renunciate. One who possesses renunciation is called renunciate. <coughs> Never the renunciate in a primary sense. See, there is a, there is a suffix added there. To the word sannyasa, you add <coughs> you add a suffix called in. And thus it becomes sannyasin. You know what this suffix does? It means that which is natural for this person. So sannyasin means the one for whom sannyasa is something natural, you know. So uh, anyway, so one who is a renunciate, so sannyasi. And therefore, Lord Krishna describes his renunciate in many places in Bhagavad Gita. That is the wise person. In, in Vedanta, this kind of sannyasa, in a primary, this is a, this is the true meaning of the word sannyasa. And, however, since there are different levels of sannyasa also, this sannyasa is qualified, it is said to be, so, renun- renunciation of the nature of knowledge. And so this renunciate, renunciate is called, Vidvat sannyasa. Vidvat means the one who is, who possesses knowledge. So Vidvat sannyasi. So one who is a renunciate by virtue of knowledge. <coughs> and really it is this sannyasa that Lord Krishna is teaching in Bhagavad Gita. This is a goal. This says, everybody has to become sannyasi. What kind of sannyasi? This sannyasi. What we call Vidvat sannyasi or renunciate by virtue of knowledge. <coughs> also, renunciate can be called a wise person who is renunciate by virtue of knowledge. And we find description of this person in many places in Bhagavad Gita because whenever Lord Krishna gets an opportunity, he describes this person. <coughs> the description started from the second chapter itself in the section called Sthita Pragna. In the last 18 verses of the second chapter of Gita, the man of abiding wisdom. And so, that is where this person was described. Atmaneva Atmana Tushtaha One who is happy with himself, by himself. One who is satisfied with himself, by himself. Meaning that he does not require anything to be satisfied with himself. So you see, whenever I feel happy, at that moment I am satisfied with myself. But there is a reason why I am satisfied. Swami, you seem to be happy this morning. What happened? <coughs> oh, you know something? I received a call from Fuji Swami. I am very happy. <coughs> Swami, you are happy this morning. You know something? From the kitchen I got the news that this lunch, they are going to have my favorite dish. Yeah. So when you find a person happy, always some reason. When I am happy at that moment, I am satisfied with myself. But then I am not satisfied with myself by myself. I am satisfied with myself because of something else. There is a cause for satisfaction. And when the cause goes away, the satisfaction which is the result also goes away. So what is the cause of satisfaction of the wise person? 
आत्मनीय आत्मा तुष्ट है ही सेटिस्फाइड विद हिमसेल्फ बाई हिमसेल्फ विच मीन्स दैट फॉर सेटिस्फैक्शन ही डज नॉट रिक्वायर एनीथिंग अदर देन हिमसेल्फ और हर सेल्फ वाई यू हैविंग आई कैन नॉट बी एनीथिंग एल्स आई कैन नॉट बट बी हैविंग हाउ कम फॉर नो रीजन एट ऑल सी समथिंग इज देर फॉर नो रीजन इट कैनॉट गो अवे सी दर इज समथिंग फॉर रीजन देन इट विल गो अवे वेन द रीजन गोज अवे बट समथिंग इज देर फॉर नो रीजन इट विल नेवर गो अवे लाइक फायर इज हॉट फॉर वट रीजन नो रीजन इट्स अ नेचर ऑफ फायर एंड दर द फायर द हीट विल नेवर गो अवे फ्रॉम फायर और सन इज ब्राइट फॉर वट रीजन नो रीजन एट ऑल एट्स अ नेचर एंड सिमिलरली ऑल्सो द वाइस पर्सन इज हैप्पी फॉर वट रीजन नो रीजन एट ऑल बिकॉज दैट इज हिज नेचर दिस वन who has discovered one's own nature to be happiness meaning that one is it is something that is uh, unique about the wise person that is nature is happiness no that's the nature of the self it's everybody's nature so what's the difference between this wise person and the other wise person what is the wise person done he has removed the obstacles to the manifestation of his happiness so apparently happiness is there all the time shining but somehow it is not evident something is existing but not evident to be to exist is one thing to be evident is another thing for example the sun is shining that's all right but it's possible that the clouds may cover the sun and therefore even though the sun is shining that light of the sun is not evident And therefore, even though the sun is shining, the light is not available to us. We do not have the benefit of sunlight when that light is covered or it is obstructed. And similarly, also, even the atma or the self is of the nature of happiness and freedom. Somehow, the happiness or freedom is not available to us because it is obstructed, it is veiled, it is not evident. And therefore, what is our role? Our role is to make evident. what is already there to bring to manifestation what is already there so whole world thinks that the happiness is something to be created but vedanta explains that happiness is not to be created happiness is to be brought to manifestation there is a very big difference in understanding so once you understand vedanta that it is praptasya prapti or attainment of what is already attained then my life becomes a process of bringing to bringing to manifestation what is there rather than a process of creating what is not there so i take for granted that happiness is not there and i have to create it and therefore i strive when i endeavor i do various things to create the happiness which is not there this is one way but we are told that no happiness is already there you have to bring it to manifestation then in one case karma or the action can be becomes a means of producing what is not there in other case action becomes a means of bringing to manifestation what is there how do i bring to manifestation by giving up that obstacle is it not so when the sun is already shining and the clouds are covering the sun all we need to do is to remove the obstacle we do not have to produce the light the light is already there we just have to bring that light to manifestation similarly also we don't have to produce happiness or freedom the happiness or freedom which is already there is to be brought to manifestation and for that what should we do whatever it is that obstructs that happiness the obstruction is to be given up so giving up comes the life once the understanding is there life becomes a process of giving up whatever it is that obstructs the happiness what obstructs the happiness there is this rope lying in front of me what is it that obstructs that rope how come I, i i i don't see it as a rope because for some reason or the other in my mind this conclusion has happened that this is a snake so understand that the only thing that is obstructing the rope from my vision is my notion of projection that this is a snake and as long as so what is it that denies the tenth man the you know the seeing of tenth man just his conclusion that i am the ninth man i am not the tenth man that conclusion 
as long as that conclusion remains, so long he cannot see the tenth man. All that, all that is needed to go is this notion or conclusion that I am not the tenth man, I am the ninth man, that's it. So that is to be renounced. So ignorance brings about this false notions or conclusions and therefore that is what is to be renounced. <coughs> what has happened is that this conclusion that I am the ninth man or this conclusion that I am a limited being, the conclusion that I am an incomplete being or that I am insecure and a wanting person, this is my conclusion. Even though that is not the reality about me, but today that is the reality about me, that I am a wanting person, I am an inadequate person, I am an insecure person. Then what happens is, then I look at the world. Since I am insecure or wanting, therefore I look at the world to help me to remove that one, to remove that insecurity. And therefore, whatever it is in the world, that promises me to remove my insecurity, that becomes an object of my liking. And whatever it is that seems to threaten my security, becomes an object of dislike. Because I have taken myself to be a person who is vulnerable, who can be hurt. So I look upon myself a person who is vulnerable, who can be persecuted, who can be hurt. And therefore, whatever happens to me, whatever appears to be that which will hurt me, I hate it. And whatever appears to be that which will help me, I love it. So this notion of incompleteness, inadequacy, insecurity on my part further brings about what we call this attachment and aversion or likes and dislikes. <coughs> this is what happens. And that's the reason why before we can give up ignorance, it becomes necessary to give up these likes and dislikes also. Avidya Asmita Raga Dresha Avidya Asmita Raga Dresha Abhinivesha. This is how Yoga Shastra explains whole chain of occurrences. <coughs> Avidya is ignorance. And projection. Taking one thing to be different other than what it is. This taking the self that is complete taking to be incomplete is called avidya. So what is complete? Free or adequate, taking to be incomplete, bound, inadequate, lacking, wanting, insecure, this is the avidya. Anyway, so that brings about asmita, sense of individuality. What is that? I am insecure. Then only I can become individual. So ignorance brings this complex in me, I am insecure. And that means I am insecure, I am incomplete, I am inadequate, I am wanting, I am helpless, all this is included. There is what we call the sense of individuality, it's called asmita. Asmi means I am, I am. Asmita, the state of being I am, meaning that the state of being individual. <coughs> so, Vidya gives rise to Asmita, that gives rise to Raga, that gives rise to Dvesha, that gives rise to this, each one gives rise to the other one. So, what is Raga? That we know, attachment. What is attachment? Attachment is my conclusion that something, when I look upon something as a source of security, source of happiness, then this thought arises in me, I cannot do without it. Since I cannot do without happiness, I cannot do without that which is source of happiness. 
Since I cannot do without being secure, therefore I cannot do without that which is a source of security. And therefore, the kind of an attitude that I have with reference to all those things that I look upon as source of security or happiness is attachment. Thus there are many things in my life without which I cannot do, without which I feel unhappy, without which I feel insecure, without which I feel lost or isolated or lonely. That is attachment. There are many things like that. It may be people, it may be places, it may be positions, it may be wealth, it may be possessions, all these things which I look upon as the source of security or happiness, for them I have attachment. And what happens is, when I look upon something as a source of happiness, there's always some threat, somebody else may come, you know, and obstruct. So whatever it is that I look upon as obstacles to the fulfillment of my attachment, that is what we call an aversion. And both attachment and aversion give rise to fear. Although abhinavesha means very strong attachment, but in fact we can also look upon that as fear. It's interesting how fear is produced from raga and dvesha. Because when I'm attached to something, when something is very important to me, because it's source of security and happiness, there's a fear that it may go away, I may lose it. So the possibility of separation from the object of attachment causes fear. What will happen if my house goes away, if my wealth goes away, if my job goes away, if my something goes away, what will happen? So fear, always. So fear is on account of attachment, that which I look upon as the source of happiness or security. A possibility of separation with that gives rise to fear. This dvesha also gives rise to fear. The possibility of association with that which I look upon as threat gives rise to fear also. So that which is source of security causes fear by the possibility of separation. That which is a threat to my security also causes fear by the possibility of association. And therefore both Raga and Dvesha give rise to Abhinavesha, fear from death, extreme attachment to the body and fear in general. So this is the sequence. That projection, sense of individuality, means all sense of isolation. Individuality, sense of isolation, sense of loneliness, sense of confinement, sense of being small, sense of being insecure, dasmita. That gives us to raga, hang on to things. That's the reason why we need to possess things. I want to possess things. I don't let go of things. I possess them. And if I find somebody also is contending, I fight with them. And that is how raga here, dvesha. Like two sides of the coin. When attachment is there, everything is going to be there. And when they are there, fear is always there. What will happen if what I love doesn't love me, if he'll give me, give me up, whatever it is, if he'll reject me? And dvesha, the one who I hate, what will happen if I have to deal with that person? So, fear. And this poor human being always is suffering from fear all the time. So, renunciation starts from this level. We cannot right away renounce ignorance. But before we can renounce ignorance, it becomes necessary also to renounce other levels. The grosser level, these are all ignorance. All of these are in fact nothing but ignorance, you know, becoming grosser and grosser. So how do I know I am ignorant? If there is fear in me, I know that I am ignorant. The attachment in me, there is ignorance. Aversion, ignorance. Ego, sense of individuality, ignorance. <coughs> and so, the renunciation starts from here. That's the reason why in Bhagavad Gita we find Lord Krishna all the time telling us, give the attachment to the result of action. Give the attachment to the result of action. Now we'll discuss that. What is this attachment to the result of an action? Because I look upon the result of an action as a source of security, as a source of happiness, not action. I'm not much attached to action. Person is interested in the gain. Person is interested in the reward. And therefore, I am attached to the reward. So Lord Krishna says that attachment is a manifestation of fear. And again, there is manifestation of ignorance. And therefore, as long as I hold on to this attachment, 
That is, as long as I justify my attachment, as long as I justify my dependence, so long I am perpetuating ignorance. And if I want to become free from ignorance, someday I should start with, this is also ignorance, attachment also is nothing but a form of ignorance. So Lord Krishna is asking us to renounce what? Ignorance. So renunciation of ignorance is the primary renunciation. But that starts by, from the lower level, ignorance of the attachment and aversion. So that's how we find the scheme of Bhagavad Gita. Then Lord Krishna says, then give up this sense of individuality. And finally Lord Krishna says, give up the ignorance, I mean give up the avidya. <coughs> so, a lifestyle wherein this renunciation happens. is called Karma Yoga. So as we said, Karma becomes Yoga only when it is accompanied with renunciation. Just any action doesn't become Yoga. But when action is performed in the spirit of renunciation, then that action becomes Yoga. What is Yoga? Yoga is, again as you know, the word Yoga is derived from the root huge in the sense of joining. Yoga is a means of joining me with moksha. That's what I want. So, Lord Krishna says the whole life can become yoga. The whole life can become a process of joining with moksha. In what sense? If whatever I do, it involves renunciation of that which is an obstacle to moksha. So these are the obstacles to moksha. Like that cloud becomes an obstacle to the manifestation of sunlight. Similarly also, this whole ignorance becomes the obstacle to the manifestation of happiness which is my nature. And therefore we have to renounce this thing, that's all. When we live a life of acquiring, then we are also adding up these ragatveshas and that is how, in fact, we are only making that layer thicker and thicker. And therefore Lord Krishna teaches us renunciation. It starts with renunciation of attachment, meaning renunciation of attachment and aversion. <coughs> and when as a result of that, the ragatveshas reduce, this is a process of what we call antahakana shuddhi or purification of the mind. So, this, this attachment and aversion and fear, they are called the impurities of the mind. The wise man is described as vita raga bhaya krodha, one who is totally free from raga, bhaya and krodha. Raga means attachment, bhaya means fear, krodha means aversion or anger. Attachment, aversion and fear. Raga, Bhaya, Krodha. So wise man is totally free from that. But when can you be totally free from this? When you are totally free from this sense of individuality. When can that be? When you are free from this ignorance. When can that be? When there is the knowledge of true nature of the self. So therefore, this is the result of the knowledge. That one becomes, this is the, and that is the freedom. In fact, I find myself bound or compelled by the external world only because there are inner compulsions. If basically I become free, this is inner compelling factors. The attachment compels me to do something. Attachment compels me to acquire the object of attachment. The aversion compels me to get rid of that which I hate. And thus, as long as in my mind there is attachment and aversion, so long I cannot enjoy what we call peace of mind. That's the reason why in the third chapter, Lord Krishna says that an ignorant person cannot sit quietly even for a moment. So when Arjuna proposed that he wants to renounce action, Lord Krishna says, look, you don't have freedom to give up the action. Before you can renounce action, give the freedom to renounce. It's not that I can give up something like that, I should have freedom to give up. And I cannot give up the karma or action if I don't have the freedom. So, a person does not have freedom to give up the action. 
as long as raga and dvesha are there. Or at least as long as pronouns, likes and dislikes are there. So long I am compared from within myself to do something. And therefore that compulsion must first go. So really speaking, this morning we are talking about compulsion, which is what we call the helplessness or bondage. And we feel the outside world is all the time making me helpless. I am being persecuted, I am being exploited, and I am being rejected, and I am being neglected. You know, this is what I feel. But basically I am persecuted by something within myself. And what is it? These ragas and dvesha, attachment, aversion, and fear. In account of that, I find that the world persecutes me, or rejects me, or hurts me. In short, I make myself vulnerable and available to the world to hurt me. If these things are gone, that's why Lord Krishna describes a wise person. You can't hurt him. And you can't provoke him at all. You can't provoke him. Again, we give the example of that screw with a thread. You can tighten that. But if the thread the screw are worn out, you can keep on turning as much as you want. Nothing will happen. As long as buttons are there, people can push those buttons. And I will dance to the tune of the people, you know. But if the buttons are gone, doesn't matter what they do. Threads are worn out, doesn't matter what they do, they can keep on tightening, the world will tighten. You don't feel like tightening. That's the tendency. Moment you see something, you feel like tightening. So moment you see a person vulnerable, you know, you know that if the fellow can become angry, they'll make him. Because that's how you have fun, you know, at the cost of someone else. And therefore, if I want that the world should not hurt me, I must remove from myself the cause because of which I allow the world to hurt me. I empower the world to hurt me. I empower them to provoke me. Therefore, it is not their problem, it is my problem. Basically, this is what Vedanta says. Of course, that sounds very cruel, you know, Swami, what do you mean? Look at these people, the way they treat and so forth. That is true. People are like that and you can't do much about it. That's how it is. Everybody is hurt inside. And the only way I can deal with my hurt is to hurt somebody else. That's the only way I know. The way to deal with my hurt is to, to inflict it upon somebody else when I feel satisfied. That's why people go to watch these movies having a lot of tragedies, you know. So when you see the movie with a lot of tragedy, you feel satisfied and all right. There is somebody worse than me, you know. I'm not the only one. That's how the group therapy also works very well. There are 15 people sitting, you know. And therefore all of them share their pain, which is, which makes you feel that you are not the only one. But anyway, the idea is that the reason why people hurt me is because they are themselves hurt and that is what the world is full of. That being the case, I have to work upon myself. And that is called Karma Yoga. To work upon my, it has nothing to do with Karma really. Karma Yoga has very little to do with Karma. The Yoga is more important than Karma. It is not just action. But the action gives me an opportunity to deal with myself, that's all. Moment I'm ready to perform an action, my attachments will come out, show up. Moment I'm ready to do something, this fellow will say, what about me? What is in it for me? My attachment will show up, my aversion will show up. And therefore, karma or the action becomes an occasion for me just to deal with myself. So we'll discuss that, because that also, 18th chapter will, you know, I will deal with this also. <coughs> so karma yoga also is sannyasa, that's what we are saying. Lord Krishna describes a karma yogi also as a sannyasa. The, very, the first verse of 6th chapter says, Anashritaha karma phalam karyam karma karotiyaha sa sannyasi cha yogi cha na niragdana chakriya. Arjuna, don't you think that merely one who renounces karma alone is a sannyasi? Or one who does not perform an action alone is a yogi. Well, yogi means the one who is in samadhi. That's called a yogi. Means one who is given all activities. And sannyasa is the one who is given all duties. Then that's all right. But Lord Krishna says that even if this fellow is performing action, he's still a yogi. And performing action and still is a sannyasa. And so that's a very beautiful verse where karma yogi is extolled, is praised as a sannyasi as well as a yogi. So that is the that is the first level of sannyasa. <coughs> first level of sannyasa. 
Lord Krishna in fact calls him a renunciate. As far as Lord Krishna is concerned, the renunciation is not described in any external, there are no external characteristics by which renunciation is described. Renunciation is always described with reference to the state of mind. We can call it, there are three levels of renunciations representing three levels of maturity of the mind. And thus, the life of karma in a way is also life of renunciation. The first level of renunciation. What do we renounce here? We renounce attachments and aversion. <coughs> then the second level of renunciation. So as a result, as a process, of Karma Yoga, when the mind becomes largely free from dislikes and dislikes, not totally free, but largely free. That means now a person has attained a state where you can manage your ragadveshas, you know. So this is a self-management. Where I'm not free from ragadvesha, but I can manage my ragadvesha. What does it mean that? I can manage my emotional problems. I don't need anybody to pat on my back and then, you know, tell me, console me and stuff like that. I, so I'm not emotionally dependent anymore. That is the renunciation. So second level of renunciation is then when Antaka Shuddhi is gained, that is purification of mind is gained, then there arises what we call Vividisha or desire to know. So this Karma Yoga gives rise to or purification of mind. <coughs> and again we'll discuss subsequently in the language of the three gunas, the mind becomes predominant sattva. And when mind becomes sattvic, becomes pure, then there arises what we call the desire for knowledge. Also called vividisha. Desire to know. This just happens. So when the mind becomes sattvic, when the mind has rajas, see the very same object in fact creates different impacts upon me. When the mind is predominant in tamas, the very same thing creates an indifference or hatred. I don't want it. When the mind is predominant in rajas, the very same thing creates in me a desire to enjoy it, pleasure. When the mind is predominant in sattva, the very same object creates in me a desire to know. So object is the same, world is the same, but the way I respond to the world depends upon my own frame of mind. That's why we want sattvic mind. When sattva is there, there is a desire to know. That's why when a scientist looks at the thing, he just wants to know. A technologist wants to enjoy it, I mean he wants to convert that knowledge into something useful, you know, whatever. But, so, Jignasa or Vividisha, desire to know. Now when that happens, then one is qualified for knowledge. And then, when this happens, we come to the second level of sannyasa or second level of renunciation. Vividisha, they mean the same. See, Jignasa is a word, Derived from the root jnana. 
means to know. Vividisha is the word irrational with vid. Also means to know. So they mean the same. You don't call them synonyms, but the meaning is the same. You can call it synonyms if you want. Meaning is the same, to know. And so from this, this derivative name is derived, Jignasa, the desire to know. A son pratyayarya to that. It's called frequentative. So desire to know, Jignasa, or Vedisha, desire to know. <clears throat> when that desire to know happens, then I'm ready for pursuing knowledge. This is a very important, very important milestone, a very important achievement. In fact, Lord Krishna calls it Siddhi. Siddhi means perfection or accomplishment. So Lord Krishna talks about this kind of Siddhi, this kind of accomplishment or this kind of perfection. So the word Siddhi means also power. And they talk of many powers, you know, in the Yoga Shastra. But the kind of power that Lord Krishna is talking about is this power, power of inner purity. And thus, which gives rise to a desire for knowledge. <coughs> when that happens then, we go to the second level of sannyasa. Vividisha Sanyasa. Renunciation by virtue of desire to know. That is the Vividisha Sanyasa, the second level of Sanyasa, second level of renunciation. <coughs> we'll continue our discussion with this one tomorrow.